Hey everyone, and welcome back to Bless You, the podcast where you tell us your juiciest stories and we get to dish on them. My name is Callie and I am here with a very feisty and recovered Elise. Hello, I have a headache patch on my forehead. I didn't even comment on that. I was like, yep, that's normal for her to just have a big white patch on her (laughs) face. I love that. I love that you know me so well that you don't think twice about me having a humongous patch on my forehead. So no, you're always doing some sort of like natural remedy or yeah. something. Whereas I'm like, I'll just gal like take an entire gallon of Tylenol and just well, it and hope that I'm, does it. I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up because that brings me into my sparkle. But should we, <laughs> should we say that we're what we're talking about today? I feel oh like- yeah. So we're talking about how your career can be a a little bitch face and get in the way of your life plans and or self-esteem. Yes. So fuck you careers. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So I had COVID. I, I am recovering from COVID currently. It not, are you still testing positive? I actually haven't. I have one more test that I can do. I'm going to test later today or tomorrow to see, but yeah, we'll see. Um, I know a lot of people who tested positive, like up to 12, 14 days afterwards. So Mm -hmm. we'll see, stay tuned. But, um, yeah, my husband gave me COVID fuck you, Carl. Um, (laughs) it was literally awful, progressively getting worse and worse and worse and worse every single day. My panic texts to Callie, I'm sure just were (laughs) getting worse completely. Like not understandable at certain points. And it was like, am I dead? And I was like, you're not dead. And you're like, am I alive? I was like, you're not alive either. You're you're in limbo and I don't know how to comfort you. I'm sorry. Oh yeah, it was bad. And you know, I, I'm sure all of you listeners know this about me by now, but I am very much into like naturopathy and holistic health and take all the vitamins and do the wheatgrass shots and the ginger shots and, you know, boost your immunity from the earth and all this shit. And Carl got COVID first. It was horrible. He had a fever of 103 was like, I've never seen him so sick in my life. And he took that Paxlovid, which is like the new antiviral medication for COVID. Mm. And he started that the first 24 hours and like by the third day was literally totally fine. And that's when I was just starting to get sick. So I was like, you know what? Maybe this isn't that bad of a strand. He had it, you know, just a fever really bad. And then he got better and, you know, I have O positive blood, so I'm going to be fine. And I do all the things. So I'm going to kick this thing's ass. And I was fucking wrong. It just was so horrible. And I actually thought that I was dying. I was, I got scared genuinely. And so I couldn't, I couldn't do this one. I couldn't, I had to take one for the team. I couldn't do this one alone. I was like taking all the things and Carl's like, Elise, I love you, but you are like so annoying. Like no, no prenatal vitamin mixture is gonna make you beat COVID. Like you need medicine. So I got I took traditional medicine and it saved my life. So. Oh my God. Thank God. I am such a traditionalist when it comes to health. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm into bonus things, but the thing about it is like, until they're scientifically proven, I'm not expecting anything to work. 
Yeah. Well, I just, I just thought that I was at a place of health where I would be able to like beat it myself because I, <laughs> I consider myself like healthier than the average person. By idiot. <laughs> but like, dude, I was, but what's, what's, what made me feel better about it is that my naturopath was the one who prescribed me the Z-Pack and the steroids that I had to take. I called her and I was like, look, I don't want to do this, but I feel like I'm dying and I need help. And she was like, it's okay to take drugs every now and again, at least like you're going to be full. Well, totally. I mean, if you get sick and take antibiotics every single time, then your body becomes immune to antibiotics and they stop working for you. So, I mean, there's something to be said that it's like, don't just down a Z pack and like, you know, other drugs, every time you feel a tink, like a tickle in your throat, like yeah. get over yourself. But you, I, I reserve going to the doctor or like serious medication for when I'm seriously sick, but even with, with COVID, I had it in March, 2020, and we didn't know anything about it yet. So yeah. we were just like, I guess we'll just bask in the glory of our own filth for like two weeks and just took Tylenol. I was like, is it over yet? <laughs> like, we just, yeah. There was nothing we could really do because that's when hospitals were like so overwhelmed and overcrowded and you couldn't even get a test. Remember that you could only get a test if you were a healthcare worker or someone over like 65. So people are like, well, how did you know you had COVID? And it's like, well. I got an antibody test in April and it was off the charts. So we definitely had it, but we yeah. weren't able to really do much. I, 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 I was scared genuinely. And it's, you know, three years into this mess almost. And I just can't imagine getting it right when you and Andrew got it. Cause I, I would just be shitting. Well, I was shitting my pants. I actually was shitting my pants, but I would be shitting my pants because I would be so anxious. Well, the narrative at that point is that young people weren't dying. Um, that was the media narrative. I don't know if you remember that. And so we were just like, nah, we're going to be fine. And we were fine. Uh, and then of course, six months later, it's like, nope, everyone's dying from this. And we're like, oh shit. So we were very lucky. We were also lucky that it didn't travel to our lungs, which makes a huge difference. So <laughs> the thing about COVID it is it just like infiltrates every part of your body as Elise can attest. There was nothing, um, that wasn't attacked for you. For yeah. me, we were lucky that it really did just isolate to body aches, fever, um, and that kind of thing. But we, and like, it would travel around like, and so I'd be like, where is it for you? And he's like, Oh, it's in my chest. And I was like, Oh, it's in like my head, you know? So it was like, it would travel around, but it never created a cold for us, which I think is a game changer. Yeah, no, it, it hit me on all cylinders. So <laughs> I know like every system of my body was like inside, like the alarms going off all the cells. I'm sure were running around like, what the fuck is going on? But yeah, no. I'm alive. I'm alive. So what's your actual sparkle that you survived? Oh, no. Well, yeah, my sparkles, I'm, I'm, I survived and I'm here to record another, another day, mm -hmm. but secondly, like holistic health and naturopathy is great, but sometimes you just have to get over yourself because your health, you can't continue to be a holistic health person if you don't, if you're not alive. So like, take, take the life-saving drugs that you need to take when you need to take them and shut the fuck up about it because it's just not, it's just not worth it. Truly. Ooh, that is a, that is a fire sparkle in my book. <laughs> I love it. Ditto Rogers. <laughs> <laughs>
Okay. My sparkle is, and my sparkle is the same sparkle that it was like a month ago, whenever, so sorry, but I mean, we have to talk about it. We have to talk about the fact that Roe v. Wade and Casey versus uh, Planned Parenthood was struck down because like, what the fuck? Let me tell you this. I ain't celebrating 4th of July this weekend because fuck you. Okay. Like I'm not celebrating this country because it's not celebrating me. Yeah. It sure as hell isn't celebrating me. It's not trusting me to make my own decisions. It's not empowering me to say you're smart enough to make your own choices and we're going to protect you. Absolutely not. I am so disgusted and just like, I'm in my angry phase. Yeah. I think, I think at first I was in like my denial phase and then I went to my privileged phase, which is, well, I'm in California, so it's not going to affect me, which is probably true. And that's sad to say it is probably not going to affect me personally, but that does not mean that I should just be like, so NBD it's like, no, I, you know, I had that moment for like 24 hours, probably because my brain was like shutting down and turning into glue. And then it woke back up and I was like, oh, this is like we, I mean, this is insane that like just little girls born today have less rights than their mothers did when they were born. Like, let that sink in. That's wild to think about. I know. I mean, we're just, we're just, we're fucking it all up. Like, I think I'm just so overwhelmed because I'm like this country is so backwards for so many reasons. And it's like the further and further we slip back, the more I'm like, how are we going to put this back together? You know what I mean? Like it's starting to feel insurmountable. Like, I don't even know. I don't know. I'd love to be like, go vote or like donate to causes. But it's like, okay, what if you've done that? (laughs) I did vote. I did donate to a lot of causes. And like my guy's sitting up there like, well, what are you going to do? Yeah. <laughs> I do something. I mean, this is insane. The women in this country are being attacked. And like, there's just so, so many consequences. And what really sucks. And Andrew and I were talking about this the other week is like, we are all about to be so traumatized because what's going to happen is we're going to have to listen to every horrible story that's going to come out of this decision. Women are going to die and we're going to have to listen. Yep. I've already heard horror stories of someone having a ectopic rupture, which is where your baby implants into your fallopian tube. And then your fallopian tube can literally burst and you can bleed out and die. And this woman lost eight liters of blood because they had to call lawyers and they had to, they were, you know, it was an emergency surgery and she was not able to get the care that she needed because the doctor had to get advised by his lawyer. It's like, it's that, that's just, I don't know. A lot of them have to go to moral review boards. So like, here's the other thing, the argument that I'm hearing. And and by the way, I am like pro-choice across the board. There's show me a situation and I'm probably going to respond with it's, it's the woman's decision, right? Like it's none of your business. It's the mom's choice, whatever. So, and and I get that not everybody falls that extreme, but like, it's not a, I, what, what drives me crazy is it to me, it's a black or white issue. It's like, you either trust women to make choices for themselves or you don't. And so if you start putting restrictions on all this shit, which by the way, Roe versus Wade was 12 weeks. 
which is plenty of time. Six weeks is not because as Greg Abbott doesn't realize that's only two weeks pregnant, you fucking moron. Yeah. Like God. And some women have irregular periods. So it's like, Oh, I mean, they don't even know until it's too late. What was I talking about? Oh yeah. So, I mean, there are situations like medically, like, um, as Elise just said, ectopic, um, a missed miscarriage, um, a miscarriage that happens and then you don't expel everything, which can turn into infection or sepsis or worse. But what happens is, is that, you know, there's trigger laws that are saying, oh, well, if the, if the mother's life is in danger, then of course we're going to take care of her, but they have to determine that the mother's life is in danger and the mother's life might not be in danger at that moment. Mm-hmm. Right. If I'm having an, an ectopic pregnancy, it might be two weeks until my fallopian tube bursts and then I'm dead. So at this moment, my life is not in danger. I'm fine. So I have to go home and I have to wait until I'm on the brink of death in order to get life-saving surgery, which like, why the fuck would we do that when you can just get a more routine surgery where no one's in that much danger? It's like, well, isn't that like that catastrophic insurance, right? Like you pay for it, like literally the worst case scenario, like falling off yes. a cliff or getting in mauled by a bear. It's like, you're waiting yeah. till the oil's already spilled all over the kitchen, you know? Yes. And those surgeries cost more, right? It's yep. a lot more strain on the doctors and on the healthcare system. And by the way, they still have to go through a moral review board in those moments to clear these doctors so that they don't get thrown in jail. I mean, this is insane. Like it's absolutely bananas. And I have a lot more points of view on other cases that were overturned (laughs) in the the clean air act. Like, are we fucking serious? I mean, it's just ludicrous what these people overturn. And by the way, I didn't vote for any of them. Did you Elise? No. No, because they're not even electable. Like, I mean, this, the system is just, again, it's starting to feel insurmountable. Like it's, it's starting to feel like it's out of hand and there's nothing we can do to get it back into place. I feel like whenever you're feeling like things are too much, I'm having an internal panic attack right now. I'm like, what the fuck am I supposed to do? If Callie's freaking out, what am I going to do? I don't know. I mean, and it's just garbage that, you know, so many democratic politicians that I do vote for and I do support are asking me for money. I'm like, fuck you. (laughs) No, (laughs) go do something. And then I'll give you money. You don't need my money in order to go make change in Washington. Okay. You're elected right now. I don't, you know what? I'm not going to reelect you. If you don't do something, Like, just fix it, fix it. And then we can talk. Ugh. If they hit me up for cash one more time, I'm going to lose my shit. So I'm not doing great, but my sparkle is that I am not celebrating 4th of July. So screw you. That's fair. (laughs) That's how I feel. I am angry and I'm justified in my anger. And if anyone else is as angry as me, I hope you found this very long spiel therapeutic. I'm not going to lie. I think it worked me up even more and I don't feel better, but you know, I don't think that's the point. I don't think we're supposed to feel better. I think we're just supposed to like stay angry until we can get someone to do something. Yeah. Because in the meantime, a lot of women are going to die and we're going to have to listen to these absolutely horrible stories that are completely preventable. And it's going to re-traumatize so many women. Yeah, you're right. 
Ugh. And then we're also going to have to share our traumatic stories in order to feel like we are relevant in order to personalize the story, which is also, I hate it. I hate that in order to get someone to change their mind, you have to share your most vulnerable, horrific personal story. Yeah. See this issue matters. Like, yeah. Why can't people just be smart? Okay. Okay. (sighs) Moving on. (sighs) Deep breath. Let's move on to our first letter. So we've got a little bit of a longer letter and then a short little baby letter. And I love both of them. So let's get into it. Bless you. Feeling at a crossroads with juggling IVF and a demanding career. That's just like the highlight. I love that. TLDR. That's what this letter is about. My husband and I found out about our infertility on New Year's Eve 2020 when his semen analysis came back with zero sperm. Since then, he's done a biopsy. I've done two rounds of IVF with ICSI and we had a successful transfer, but unfortunately that ended in a miscarriage earlier this year. Mm-hmm. I've been trying to hold it down as best I can at work while going to early morning monitoring appointments, stepping out of meetings to take doctor's calls and taking just a few days off around the retrievals transfer and DNC and saying they were vague quote, medical procedures in parentheses. No one at work knows I'm doing IVF and I'm very reluctant to share. I'm a freelance TV producer, which is a job that usually takes me on the road a lot and has a very unpredictable schedule. When we were diagnosed, I purposely took a specific job because it was 100% remote and had a predictable schedule, but the trade-off was that it was very boring and not creatively stimulating. Now that project is ending and I'm back to job hunting in a career that often demands you to put your personal life on hold. As you both know, IVF is also very unpredictable with constant curveballs affecting your timeline. I'm tempted to take a pause with work just to give myself more bandwidth to pursue whatever is next with the infertility journey and hoping to do another transfer later this summer. And if that doesn't work, then another retrieval. But obviously earning an income and not wanting a break in my employment is a real concern that further stresses me out. Any help would be so much appreciated on how you both balance work and IVF. Thank you. I want to give you a hug. Um, It's kind of funny because I feel like all of these letter writers actually know what they need to do. It's just a mere like they want validation or permission to do that. Like I, it sounds like, you know, I'm tempted to take a pause with work and just give, just to give myself more bandwidth to pursue whatever's next with infertility. I think that's a great idea. I think that if you have the means, the financial means to continue with fertility treatments and take a break from work, even if, even if you weren't doing IVF and you had, and you had the opportunity to take a break from work just to like, enjoy your life and focus on your marriage because infertility robs you of so much. Truly. It's such a financial stress. It's such a strain on your marriage, on your social life. It's just truly so much. And it, and it's, you know, the fact that you've been through a couple rounds and you got pregnant and then you had a miscarriage and then you had to have a DNC. It's just like, you've been through the ringer. And so, which by the way, a DNC is considered an abortion. And this woman desperately wants children. Sorry, I have to say it, but like yeah. this poor woman is also affected by yeah. this political decision. Um, but yeah, you know, I think that it would be maybe a different conversation that we would be having if you were like, I love my job and it brings me so much fulfillment and so much joy, but you're, it sounds to me like 
you haven't really been happy and fulfilled at your job. You don't have an environment where you feel supported beyond work stuff. Like I'm, I'm so blessed to be able to have a job where I get to also work with my best friend slash IVF partner slash boss. Like, you know, I, I have like the best case scenario and it's still really hard, you know, like, so I don't know. I just think that, I think that taking a break and a step back from your job altogether and having that conversation with your partner and just seeing if that's something that financially you could do. Like, I don't really see it being a big deal having a break in your employment anymore. Shit happens. I think that that's one great thing that COVID has brought to the table is that it's, it's no longer like a big deal or something that's super frowned upon to have a little bit of a break in your employment history. So I'm, I'm on board for taking a break and taking a step back. Truly. Yeah. What do you think? I don't know. I don't know how I feel. Um, I have thoughts though. And maybe my thoughts will like coalesce into one. Yeah. Like point of view. I don't know. Let's see. Buckle in. Let's see where where we go. So first of all, Elise already kind of touched on this, but I think it is a huge red flag that no one at work knows you're doing IVF and you're very reluctant to share. I wonder why is that because you feel like the reaction from your work would not be supportive and would be, would they ask invasive questions? Would they not consider this an actual medical diagnosis? Because it is, Mm -hmm. um, or is it that you're carrying some shame and maybe even embarrassment about going through IVF. Cause I see that sometimes there are some women out there who are like, I feel like my body is broken. This is so embarrassing. I'm not a real woman. And I'm like, Whoa, how did we arrive at this conclusion? And they like, don't want to share with anyone because they think it's something like dirty or shameful. Um, I, I honestly, I'm not really getting those vibes from this letter, but I'm just curious. I would love for you to explore and reflect on why you're so reluctant to share because ideally, you know, anyone's workplace, again, ideally, maybe when pigs fly is very supportive and very understanding about, um, stuff like that. So I'm just, that was kind of, that stuck out to me, um, which makes me think like, you know, maybe it is a good idea that you're leaving and that maybe you do want to take a break or at least find a more supportive, um, environment. So, you know, both of both Elise and I pretty much like Elise has uh, full autonomy over her schedule for the most part. And so do I. So I want to let you know that we're answering this from the perspective of we don't really know firsthand what it's like to not be able to recuperate after these very invasive procedures and go to these last minute appointments without feeling guilty or without feeling like we're going to get fired for doing it. And both of us have that security and we know that nothing's going to happen to us. If we have to cancel a session last minute to go to a monitoring appointment, like it's not the end of the world, we'll just reschedule it. I'm never going to get mad at anyone for doing that. And I've done it myself. So it's a little tough. Um, but I'm kind of like wavering between two points of view. And I guarantee you that they are in line with each other from your perspective. I'm just I just, I'm not a mind reader, so you're going to have to answer this question. But on the one hand, like, because IVF is such a cluster and it's, it is unpredictable. And as you said, who the hell knows what it's going to do to your timeline. 
you cannot put your life on hold. Mm -hmm. So if taking time off of work for you is taking yourself out of the game, removing yourself from a situation that you really want to be a part of, and it feels like you're just standing still, I wouldn't do it. I would instead find a situation where you can work part-time or find a situation where you are vocal, even during the interview process of, Hey, heads up, I'm going through IVF. So there might be certain situations or a week of time where I'm going to need to step back for a little bit, or I'm going to be running late to work, or I'm going to have to do this and like, just be open from the start so that you start a new career or a new opportunity very transparent. Um, would that prevent you from getting hired? Maybe, but I would say, then why would you want to work there? Mm -hmm. Right. If anyone's going to give you pushback for this, it's not a good situation to be in for, for anyone. Like, why would anyone want to work in a place where they don't support someone going through IVF? Like that just feels like you're working for a monster Mm -hmm. in my humble opinion. And I, I went on my stories and I talked about this yesterday. Like infertility is a medical diagnosis. Yes. We would not be telling a diabetic who needs to go to the hospital and get insulin. Like, actually you can't go. Like that's, it's a medical diagnosis. You need intervention. And I think, isn't that illegal to like say that or make a, make a thing out of someone having to go get treatment? No, because it's not a protected class. So it'd have to be a protected class of people. And I don't think infertility falls under that, but I don't think that we need legal standing anyway to justify this behavior. Like, you know, if someone's, I don't know if someone's going through a hard time or it's like, hell people do this for parents all the time. If there's a student teacher conference, that's not legally protected. But most employers let parents go and attend the student teacher conference if they have to leave work a little early mm-hmm. or if they need to pick their kids up from school. Like plenty of working parents pick their kids up from school and drop them off with a nanny and like, it's fine. Yeah. So like employers are not new to supporting people going like through different walks of life. Um, it's not like everyone is glued to their desk from 8am to 6pm, no exceptions. It's just the culture in which, you know, you work, which being on the road is tough because I mean, but granted it can be done. If that's what you want, you can partner up with clinics along your way and go and do monitoring. I mean, is it more work for you? Yes. But If you, on the other hand, are saying, I want this break, I need this break, it would not be putting my life on hold. It would be a well-earned pause so that I can actually focus on this because I've been distracted and haven't been able to really focus on this. Well, that's a completely different question. Yeah. So I think, I think what I would do personally is I would find something inherently part-time and super flexible Um, just to get you through, because the other thing we have to ask, and this is, you have to ask every parent this, okay, man or woman or in between, whatever, what is your career plan for when you are successful Mm -hmm. and you do have a potato? Were you planning on making changes then? Were you not? Were you going to get full-time care? Because if your plan was, okay, when I'm successful, I'm going back on the road and I'll just have daycare and a nanny and we're going to make it work. Then I would say, 
I would keep some momentum up in your career. If you were already planning on maybe changing things a little bit, then I don't think it's wrong to kind of start heading in that direction. Um, because you're going through a ton right now and it is hard to juggle both. Like it is extremely difficult to juggle both, but I guess what I'm trying to say is, is also going to be nearly impossible to juggle both when you are successful. Yeah. That's a really good point. You know, um, I'm not suggesting that you need to be a stay-at-home mom because you're going to have a kid like (laughs) no, but I am saying that you are at a crossroads because your life is probably going to change a little bit. And then a lot of it mm-hmm. over the next, however many years, uh, I don't know how long it's going to take, but you seem like a very determined person. So I'm not super nervous about the outcome for you. I think it's going to happen one way or the other. And so, you know, if you have a vision of what that's going to look like, why wouldn't you try and somewhat start to implement that now? Because unfortunately for you and for us, it takes a little more work to get to, get to the place where most people get to by just banging it out. Good for y'all. So fun. So neat. So retro. <laughs> I'm dead. I still, it, every time I hear like, oh my God, you had sex and got pregnant. It's like, is that a unicorn? Like, I know. I like really want to go back to like fourth grade and be like, this is not how it happens. Yeah. Liars. Yeah. <laughs> this is yeah. so true. So I don't know. Did I make things worse? I like, no. I think you clarified a lot. I think, I think utilizing her future career vision as like something to help her navigate this choice, I think will be good. But I I just, I just know the weight of IVF and infertility and how it really bleeds into every other area of your life. And I just feel like if you have the opportunity to take a pause and just try to get back in touch with yourself and your partner and your life and fun, like do that. Mm -hmm. Totally. I think another thought that just came to mind was it's okay if IVF is causing your priorities to shift. Yeah, I think parenthood probably causes everybody's priorities to shift. I mean, I would hope so, but whenever you do become a parent, I would imagine your entire world is turned upside down and things that used to really matter to you don't anymore. Mm -hmm. And you just, you inevitably, I would imagine become a different person. Yeah. Like just things are totally different and you value things you didn't before. And I can see a lot of people being like, wow, my crazy career that I worked so hard for, I don't even give a shit about it anymore. Cause I want to be able to spend more time with my family. And like that happens all the time. Not for everyone. There's maybe things shift in other ways for other people. I'm not trying to be cliche and say that once you have a kid, you're not going to care about your career anymore. That's not true for a lot of people. Uh, but I am giving you permission to allow going through IVF to change your priorities. If all of a sudden being on the road and going, going, going crazy and like is not appealing to you anymore. Like that's reason enough. Yeah. I'm just, I'm curious because she's saying that working at that remote job sucked. And so I'm like, okay, but is the option here finding another remote job versus not working and you like your soul is dying and you just want to break, or are you saying, 
you feel bad for not taking a break because the other option is going on the road. It's like, if you want to go on the road, you can figure this out. There are reproductive clinics all across this country, mm-hmm. everywhere. You can get an ultrasound anywhere. Mm-hmm. You cannot get a DNC anywhere though. So yeah, which is terrifying, but hopefully that doesn't happen again. I don't wish that upon anyone and I don't want that for you. And I have a very good feeling about what comes next, but I guess you just have to like really be honest about what you want and understand that that alone is justification for doing that thing. Yeah. You don't need, you don't need like a reason in your, like, I feel, I feel like what you're trying to say is that she is telling herself like there has to be a reason that's good enough to make these changes in her life. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think so. Um, yeah, it's interesting because she's saying her career puts her life on hold, but like IVF also has a tendency to put people's life on hold. So it's almost like she feels like she has to choose between one or the other. Mm. And that's, and you don't, you don't. Um, but again, if you don't want to choose and you want both, then I think your top priority should be finding an accepting and supportive environment yeah. so that you can share and that you can loop people in. And if that makes you want to break out into hives, you have to ask yourself why I understand that some people have a higher threshold, right. Of privacy than others. And that it, these conversations can be uncomfortable, but they don't have to be. If you're having, like, if you, like, you're having this conversation with me and Elise, and I know you're doing it because you know, both of us have a background in this, but like, you're not shy to tell us Mm -hmm. and to ask advice from us. And there are tons of people out there. I mean, you have no idea who's gone through IVF, whose wife or girlfriend or daughter or sister has gone through IVF. And it's like, I know that it feels like such a personal thing to share, but it can be one of the most healing and, you know, amazing things to share because it might take that pressure off. And so if you can find a supportive environment that will give you that built-in flexibility, knowing that you're going to hustle whenever you can, and then you need to be able to step out and take that doctor's call, or you need to come into the office at, you know, God forbid nine 30, because you had a monitoring appointment that morning. Like I personally think that is doable. Yeah. And so if that's what, you know, if you don't want to choose between one or the other, then don't. And instead that's going to be your missing link mm-hmm. is sharing your story with people who care and probably doing it as early as possible so that you already have established those boundaries. Yeah. Well, there's that quote that's, um, it says like when you, I I'm going to butcher it, but it's like when you voice something, it loses power over you. Mm-hmm. And I just think that that's totally applicable here because I mean, again, it's IVF and fertility stuff is isolating. It is hard. It does consume a lot of feelings and brain power and emotions and all the things. And so I, I do think that's a fabulous idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And again, I think taking a break from employment is not the biggest deal in the world. And then, but earning an income, I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't know though. Are y'all able to swing it? Like this is the thing we, unfortunately we can't answer this for you, but I don't think any of these ideas are bad ideas. Yeah, I agree. That's the thing. It's like, you've got options, which is good. It seems like you're just making it really hard on yourself 
because you feel like any option is a, like almost like permanent. Like if you take a break, then it's like, oh God, I can't go back to work and I'm going to be poor forever. It's like, <laughs> and also no. I do that. I do that all the time where it's like, I'm frustrated with my circumstances. So I make everything hard. You know, like I catastrophize everything in my life. I like blow things out of proportion. I make my, I make things more difficult for myself because things are difficult. Well, I think you are also very bitter and resentful about the fact (laughs) that you can't try naturally. Yep. I think it really bothers you. Yeah, it does. Yeah. It bothered me for a little bit and then I kind of got over it. I don't know. I don't know why I got over it. Don't get me wrong. It fucking sucks. But it's just, I think I just like accepted it and was like, okay, so what can I do to make this work? And then I just, my big thing was not letting it take over my life. That was my only goal. Yeah. You did that well. I mean, you know, but so that's where I'm, I keep coming back to him. Like, I'm wondering if she's facing the same emotional battle that you are. Yeah. You know, which is, I'm so resentful and bitter about this and ergo, I'm going to throw a thousand percent of my energy into being successful so that this can be over. Yeah. 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 Instead of just letting it kind of integrate into your life. Not that it's a welcome integration. I mean, it sucks, but it's like part of surrendering. I think it is it's, it's acceptance. It's saying this is part of my life. This is part of my lifestyle. This, these are the cards that I was dealt and I'm just going to make the best of them. And so if making the best of them is taking a break from work because you're burned out and you just really need a breather to regroup and to figure this out. So be it. If making the best of this is saying, fuck this, I'm not putting my career on hold that I, you know, IVF and infertility has taken enough from me. Yeah. I'm going to do both then do both. Just make sure that you face your demons and figure out why aren't you sharing this? Why aren't you being a little more open? Not with everybody, not every colleague needs to know, but it would be nice if you had a supervisor who had your back. Yes. Okay. I agree. Um, yeah. Or if you want to say, you know what, I'm going to do something in the middle and I'm going to go find something a little more stimulating, but I'm going to make it part-time. That's a great idea too. All these choices are amazing. It's just a matter of what's driving you and what you think you need and what resonates the most. Not letting infertility take over my life very much resonated with me. And I, that's what I wanted. Elise was like, fuck that. I want to be successful. Yeah. <laughs> Let it consume every ounce of my being. <laughs> so hopefully that made sense. I know I had like so many thoughts and I feel like they kind of contradicted each other, but hopefully you got what you needed. Cause I think I'm all out of thoughts. Yeah, no, I think you did a great job. Thank you. Should we do the next one? Yes. Okay. Hi ladies. I recently started a new job. I messed up my first project. The job used the, hold on. The job uses company specific formats that I wasn't used to them. I was treading water, but I thought I was doing an okay job. I was not. My coworker is having to fix my mistakes. Everyone is really cool and nice about it, but I feel like a complete failure. How can I get out of my rut feeling guilty, embarrassed, and like a failure? P.S. I don't know if this matters or not, but all of the other projects since I have done them well with no problem. So I think this was just a learning curve, but it doesn't help with how I'm feeling. Yeah, I don't, I don't really resonate personally with this one because, <laughs> because 
I fuck up all the time. And I just, I think that, I think that this is more, I get like a lot of like achievement vibes or like perfectionist vibes from this, you know, which I I relate to it. I I am a perfectionist. So you would think that I, I would relate to this more, but I just, I think that it's no big deal. Like, how would you have, how would you have been comfortable with company specific formats if you're new to the company? And that's probably if you met, if you royally messed up, then that's a bone to pick with the person who was supposed to train you. Right. That's a really fair point. Yeah. I would say, uh, Unless this big mistake was due to complete negligence because you just couldn't be bothered to pay attention during onboarding or training or was too arrogant to ask questions, which is uh, in line with achievement-based people sometimes. Like uh, I used to not ask questions because I was embarrassed. It was going to make me look dumb. Now I don't care. But that tends to be a common pattern. Uh, But anyway, if you made those mistakes because, and they were completely preventable because you just decided to skirt something. Okay, yeah, I could see why you feel a little embarrassed. That was a bonehead move. But it sounds like this is a mistake that was bound to happen because with every new job, there's a learning curve and you can't expect to come right out of the gate perfection and performing is if you've worked there for two years, you haven't, you've worked there for like a month, uh, and every other project has gone off with no problem. So here's how I would reframe this. Okay. Kind of like if you start out perfect, then the expectations for you are astronomical. And it's like, you have no room for error. You started out amazing. You're still amazing and you're going to be amazing. And there's barely any room for improvement. Mm. If you start out with a Royal fuck up, there's only one way to go. <laughs> it's That's in, in bridesmaids where she's like, there's only way, but one way but up or something. Yeah. So like that's how I would reframe this. I love that. Is, it makes you look like someone who's capable of learning from their mistakes. It makes you look like someone who cares and it makes you look like someone who can improve and is coachable. If you start out performing pretty poorly and then immediately look around and go, Oh shit. And are apologetic and very open about wanting to do better. And then you actually do better. Mm-hmm. Like that's a better narrative than just, she started out and she was great and she's still great and she's going to be great. And yeah, it's like, okay, boring. Also, how do you, how do you get promoted when you're just always great? It's like, there's no, there's, you know, it's like the expectations, it's an expectation game and you're just never going to be able to meet them because they're always going to be too high. I think that's a great perspective. And I think that's a perspective that all achievers in the world will be like, that makes total sense to me, you know? But I also think like, punishing yourself truly does nothing except for discourage you and maybe makes you miss future opportunities to knock something out of the park, right? Like if you're sitting there and you're shaming yourself and you feel like a complete and utter failure and you think everybody's talking about you behind your back and you are punishing yourself till the end of time, it's like, what does that do for you? Except keep you in the same exact place and prevent you from being able to view this as an opportunity to learn, like Callie said, or an opportunity to grow or an opportunity to connect with your coworkers to get help. Like, 
I really think that everything happens for a reason. And I think we're human and we're bound to fuck up. And the sooner that you anticipate messing things up and you believe in your bandwidth to move through those and come back from those, right? It's like all about the bounce back. It's not, someone told me this in grad school and they said, it's not what you do, but it's what you do after what you did that really matters. Mm -hmm. Like, so if you're standing there and you are taking accountability and you're taking responsibility and you're saying like, this is totally where the fault was. I'm so sorry. It will never happen again. I've learned from it. And then you have motivation to continue proving yourself. Like that's a healthy way to bounce back from this. I totally agree. Um, I've got two thoughts slash ideas. I think they're kind of the same. Uh, but one is there's that like Chris Matthews quote, which I know he's problematic, but this is still true. And that's hang a lantern on your problems. So if you're the first one to point out your flaws, if you're the first one to hang a lantern, this is a political book. So it's like how to succeed in politics. It's like, if a politician comes out and says, look at me, I fucked up here. It's like, okay, the media gets bored and they're like, well, that's not really a story because we didn't, we didn't get to break it first. Right. Like he broke it or she broke it or they broke it. So eh, boring. Okay. And it becomes like 24 hour coverage and then you move on. And that's the same with anything. It's like, if you're the first one to point out your own fuck up, it's not as interesting. So when, so that's a lesson, I'm not sure if you were the one and probably not because you probably didn't have the knowledge to even know that you messed up. It's like, if you had known you'd messed up, then you probably would have done it right in the first place. So this is more, more than likely a training issue, a learning curve, all those things. Um, but it's still good to acknowledge it after the fact and to, and to learn from it. So to take some time to be like, okay, why did I mess up? How did this go down? And to, to not stifle it and to internalize it, to talk about it and to acknowledge it and then to be curious with it. And instead of looking at that as a huge, you know, black splotch on your record, just look at it as an opportunity to say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to acknowledge this. I'm not going to try and hide this because hiding creates shame. And instead I'm just going to like study this as best I can so that I know how to not replicate it again. And then the second thing is I would show appreciation to your coworker in maybe a tangible way. Like maybe it's nice to bring flowers to the office one day. Maybe it's nice to bring a dessert or something to share with everyone. Like I love the idea of bringing some sort of actual gift. Cause I, it's clear you're saying thank you. Cause you're saying everyone's being really cool and nice about it, but I feel like a failure and it's like, okay. So clearly there's some dialogue happening about what went down and they're all fixing it. But it's like, if you could show some gratitude and appreciation to your coworker or workers Mm. who are helping you out and fixing these mistakes, I think that would go such a long way that they might even hope that you mess up again. Because then, because then you don't feel like a burden, right? You and I were talking about me feeling like a burden all the time, just in everybody's lives that I'm in. But I think that that's probably what's contributing to like the shame cycle is just feeling like a burden and feeling like, ugh, I hate that I'm adding extra work to other people. So I yes. do, I love that idea because I think that that's going to eliminate that feeling of being a burden. Well, it also turns a shameful and icky and situation into a positive one, because now whenever anyone recalls the mistake that you made, they think about the cookies that you brought in. Yeah. And they're like, oh damn, can she fuck up again? That was yeah. good. 
<laughs> you know, it becomes such a positive thing. N- not only is it going to build so much goodwill with your coworkers that they're going to want to help you again, because they're going to be trained to think of sugar when they think of you messing up. Uh, but it's also just like, people love feeling appreciated. People love being acknowledged for the work that they do. And you did create extra work for people. It seems like it doesn't bother them that much. And by the way, anytime a new person comes on to a new job, the whole team expects to help out. Yeah. It's not like they're like, okay, sink or swim. Cause it's like, that's just not how this goes, at least in most working environments. So I would imagine everyone anticipated this anyway, but it's still nice to be acknowledged for being a good employee, for being a good coworker, for being supportive, especially if everyone's being nice about it. So it's like reward that. Mm-hmm. And that's going to help build really healthy company culture of helping each other out and appreciating each other. And like you could, maybe that tone is already set, but you could at least reestablish it again. Yeah. I love that. I think that's a fabulous idea. Yeah. Show you're a team player. And I think that'll just also like help you reframe what happened and like look back on it fondly instead of looking back on it and being like, and I think that this is a great opportunity to say, like, give yourself grace, you know, like really try to figure out like what grace looks like and give yourself grace. Like, what does it look like? It's just not, not like, just be good enough and just give yourself, like, forgive yourself. Don't have crazy high expectations of yourself all the time because life is very, 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 very hard. And you're going to go through a lot of shit in life and you can't like nothing in life is at a constant ever. Nothing in at life in life is linear at all. So like you can't expect yourself to hit 110% expectation all the time, you know? So just like mm-hmm. have flexibility with yourself. Like don't be too hard on yourself. If yeah. if a friend was coming to you and said, "Oh my god, I majorly fucked up." You wouldn't tell them oh my God, you're such a failure. I'm so embarrassed to be your friend, right? Like use that perspective. Well, it depends on what the fuck up was. Well, I'm kidding. (laughs) I'm kidding. Of course not. Well, no, I mean, I really do want to know what the mistake was. But within this situation, this is like, this was kind of an easy, this was kind of a gimme for us. Yeah. It's yeah. like, okay, clearly you're not a failure. Um, and like, clearly you're going to survive this, but I still think that reframing this as, okay, great. I set expectations that I'm not perfect, but that I'm coachable, which is yeah. a much better quality to have than just being perfect again. Cause you're never going to be able to meet expectations. Yep. If that's like, if right out of the gate, it's like, she's perfect. It's like, oh, great. There's no room for error. But instead it's like, oh, she's a little bit of a hot mess who's coachable and who's willing to learn and who puts in effort. It's like, ah, ding, 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 winner, and, love her. And like perfection is really not relatable. I feel like, I feel like mm-hmm. I have so many great connections on my social media because I'm a hot mess express and I'm vulnerable about it. And people can't relate to everything being perfect all the time. So in reality, you just did yourself a favor and you fucked up and that's going to allow you to create more genuine, relatable connections with your coworkers. Totally. Um, you're the professor with mustard on their shirt. Yeah. I've shared that story, right? Yep. 
Yeah. yeah. You're the professor with most energy. Anyone in, who enters my life, who comes across as like a perfect perfectionist, I instantly call them a square. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> it's not nice. It's, but it's habitual. And honestly, at this point it's visceral. Like I can't not do it. I'm like, no, oh, I want a square. <laughs> boring next. Not for me. So yeah, I mean, I would not call you a square. Good for you. I'd call you a very normal human being. Who's just trying to do well at their new job and seems to be making friends, but might make better friends. If she brings cookies to the office next week, uh, for some coworker appreciation. So that's where I stand. Elise, any other thoughts? I have none. Lovely. Okay. Well, let's wrap this up. So, um, what's next? If you want to do a free consultation with a blush life coach, you can do that. I don't know if you knew that, uh, you can, you can find the link a bunch of different places, but if you're not sure where to find it, you can go on our live chat and ask for it, but we do 15 minute free consultations so that you can see if life coaching is right for you. It does help with work-life balance. Um, it does help with guilt and shame. It does help with confidence. It does help with prioritizing. I think one of the things that we do best is like prioritizing thoughts Yes, and being like, okay, you're clearly, I'm getting this as your number one value. I'm getting this as your second value. And this is your third value. And it's like, it's like the client just like word vomits everything. And then we're like, okay, we'll organize it for you. And then we like, give it back. And we're like, this is what we got. And like, Oh, that's great. Yep. So if you are interested in just trying us out for free, they're 15 minutes. So it's not like you're going to real dig into it, but you'll at least get to meet a coach face to face, get a sense of how we do things and just get a trial sense of, you know, if this is right for you. Uh, if you are interested in joining, then you can use code blush you 25. Like, I mean, you know, if you're just, Oh no, blush, I think it's just blush you. It's just blush you for 25% off. <laughs> if you don't want to mess with the free 15 minute consult, you're like, this is for me. I don't care. Great. That's awesome too. And then if you have a story that you want feedback on, you can write to us at blush you at joinblush.com or just go to joinblush.com and you'll see a little menu that says podcast. And there's a form that you can submit your story to. And we read all of them. We're not, we don't respond to all of them. Some of them are not detailed enough or they're too short or they don't make any sense. And so <laughs> they don't make sense. There's not much we can do, but, uh, these were great examples of course. Well, every week, honestly, is a good example of what we're looking for. So feel free to write to us because we love, we love, love, love reading your stories. We love it. We love to know all the details about your life. We really do. We're nosy bitches. I know. Truly. I love it. I'm so nosy. Okay. All right. Well, now that, um, our Elise is not on her deathbed anymore, we are here and ready to keep recording. So keep sending us your stories and we will talk to y'all next time. Yay.